This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeaky, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888 Money Pit. Money Pit is brought to you by Home Advisor, Centurion Tools, and Greenworks. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. What are you working on this weekend? If it's your home, you're in exactly the right place because we are here to help you plan those projects and get them done. Help yourself first, though, by picking up the phone and calling us at 1-888-MONEY-PIT, 888-666-3974. Coming up in this episode, it may still be chilly outside, but spring is ahead and a time when we can look forward to warm weather, birds chirping, and the sounds and smells of loud, gas-powered lawn equipment. <laughs> and that's why now is a great time to think about investing in a much better alternative, a new cordless lawnmower. We're going to highlight a new model from Greedworks with a battery that is so advanced it can run for 60 minutes on a single charge and it's self-propelled. And also ahead, a gorgeous banister and a dramatic new post can add a stylish look to your stairs. But years of manhandling can lead to shaky stairs and loose railings. We've got an easy fix coming up. And if you've been chipping away at a lot of ice this winter, we're going to have a trick of the trade to help make it disappear, especially when it freezes a garage door shut. Plus, we're thinking ahead to spring with our giveaway this hour. We've got a very handy, heavy-duty metal hose reel cart from Centurion Brands going out to one listener who reaches us with their home improvement question. Give us a call at 888-MONEY-PIT. That product is worth 120 bucks. It's going out to one listener drawn at random. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. And remember, you can call 888-MONEY-PIT anytime you hear this program, whether it's on the weekend or during the week by podcast or through one of our many radio stations that carry the program. Whenever your call comes in, we'll take your question. If we're not in the studio, we'll call you back the next time we are. And we'll always include you in the giveaway for that week's show. So what are you waiting for? Give us a call right now at one 3974 Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Kirk in North Dakota is on the line with a lighting question. What's going on? So I got a quick question on fluorescent lights. You know, a lot of your uh, lights are, of course, rated, you know, 60 watts, etc. So my question kind of came in the fact on um, the fluorescent bulb that says this is equal to a 60-watt bulb. But sometimes it's just not enough light. So what happens? Or are you allowed to put a bigger bulb wattage? Because since fluorescents are supposed to be taking elect- less electricity, can a guy put a bigger bulb in there in a fluorescence that says equals to 100 watts because it's still drawing less electricity? So I think what you're talking about here is compact fluorescence, Kirk. Right. So the wattage limitations on fixtures is based on a calculation that involves incandescent bulbs, and, it, and it, because it's because it equates to heat. You know, a 100-watt bulb is going to 
uh, emit a certain amount of heat, and uh, if the fixture's rated to take that heat, that's that's what it's rated for, and you can't put more than that. When it comes to fluorescence, you're only using a quarter of the energy. So a 15-watt bulb would deliver, you, deliver the same equivalent of 60 watts of light. You can have a bulb that delivers the equivalent of a bigger watt bulb, but you're still not actually putting that amount of electricity into it. Does that make sense? Right. So you could actually, like you say, if it's a third, if it's rated for a 60-watt incandescent bulb, you could virtually say if there was a 150-watt bulb in a fluorescent, you should be able to put that in there and not cause an overload and get more light out of that same fixture. Yeah, I probably wouldn't double it. <laughs> but I might, if it calls for a 60, I might go up to 100 because then you're moving from saying 15 watts to 25. But I have a better suggestion. Forget the compact fluorescence. They are an outdated technology. The LED bulbs it's, are where it's at today. They, they deliver a much better quality light with uh, just the same, if not more, savings. But you know, that was the whole issue is sometimes you just don't get enough light out of some of those fixtures. Right. And I think that if, right, and also they're very temperature sensitive if it's a cold area. like Well, and then they're color sensitive as well. You know, when you get a CFL, you have to pick what color temperature you want that bulb to feel, and they can all feel extremely different. So you might pick something that gives a cold, harsh light, and you want something warmer. So there's a lot of experimenting with what type of fluorescent bulb you're going to get. We'll have to try some different things, but I was just worried about the wattage and making sure I didn't overheat the uh, original fixture. No, you're smart. You're smart to be concerned, but I I take a look at the LEDs, and I think once you start trying them, you'll be you'll be disposing of those CFLs. Well, thank you very much for taking my call. I appreciate you're it. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Jody in Delaware, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I actually have a problem with my foundation. It's an exposed foundation, about three feet high around the whole footprint of the house is exposed. It's a cement block foundation that had parging on it originally, and the parging was cracking, so it was recommended by a masonry contractor to put dry lock over it. So this is what I did. I put um, it's a it, they they add color to the dry lock. So I put it over the whole foundation, and it started to crack and peel and bubble. Yeah, you didn't adhere properly. First of all, isn't dry lock usually an interior uh, masonry paint, not an exterior masonry paint? Well, this particular masonry guy told me that he's actually used it on the bottom of swimming pools. So he thought that it would work, and when when he saw it later, he said, "Wow, I've never seen it do that." Yeah, how about that? Just experimenting <laughs> with your house. I did call the dry lock people too. Yeah, and talk to them, and they they told me to try to power wash it, try scraping it, but it's just become like a huge mess. You know, I mean, it peels in some places, some places it adhered. Yeah, the problem is that now that you've got that on there, you've got to get it off because you can't put any, you can't put new stuff over the bad old stuff. It just will continue to peel. Yeah, the. The problem is, is that uh, we are on um, filled-in marshland. Is where the is where, the, and so we're on clay and clay and sand. And the cement block, you know, it sort of leaches up through there. So it's always sort of ha- sort of damp coming up from the ground anyway. Yeah, that's what I was going to, th- that's what I was kind of thinking. I was thinking the block wall might have been wet when you applied it. It might have been visibly wet, but see, those block walls are hydroscopic. They absorb water really, really well. And so if you, if it's on a moist situation, that water's going to draw up, get behind that paint, and nothing causes paint to peel faster than, than water. So unfortunately, at this stage, you're going to have to strip that off. Oh, my gosh. And we're right on, we're right on the water. You know what I mean? We're on the bay. So I'm always worried about things that 
are not environmentally friendly. The other thing that I think you probably could do, and this is a you know this is a big job in and of itself, though, is you could have a mason attach um, a woven wire mesh to that foundation and restucco it, and in that case, it could go right on top of the old junky paint because you're not really sticking to the foundation; you're sticking to the mesh. So that's another possibility. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess in some places that was used before underneath the parging. Well, the parging the parging is simply a stucco coat that goes on top of the block wall, and it's typical for the parging to crack, and usually it cracks along the lines of the of the of the masonry block. Yep, that's what it did. And that's not necessarily a defect. That's pretty much just the way it goes with that stuff, especially if they don't put it on thick enough. So I would consider, if you really want to have it to look like a traditional masonry foundation, I would consider having mesh put up there and then properly restuccoed, restuccoed. If not, you're just going to have to peel that paint off any way you can. You would, you, I would might take a look at some of the citrus-based uh, paint strippers if you have some that's really hard to get off. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Sorry about better news. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. 
Ocketrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any Aquatrue purifier. Just go to Aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any Aquatrue water purifier when you go to Aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Hey, if you're tired of winter and maybe you're thinking ahead to spring, we're with you. And that's why this hour we've got a spring-themed giveaway. We've got the heavy-duty metal hose reel cart from Centurion Brands. I like this product because it holds 300 feet of five-eighths-inch hose. That's a lot of hose. You can reach everywhere in the yard with that. Pretty much, yeah. It's And it's really sturdy. So it's kind of like um, a little bit of a hand truck shape, right? So that you can actually tilt it or just wheel it wherever you have to go. It's got 14-gauge steel construction. It's made with a very strong polystyrene finish, so it's going to last a long time. And it's worth 120 bucks. And most of all, I'm excited because we're giving it away to you. Well, if you pick up the phone and call us, that number is one eight 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 Money Pit, eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. And again, it doesn't matter when you're hearing the show; you can call us twenty four seven. If we're not in the studio, we'll call you back the next time we are, and we will always include you in that week's giveaway, which this week is from Centurion Brands, the heavy duty metal hose reel cart worth one hundred and twenty bucks. William in Illinois is on the line with a heating question. How can we help you with your project? I live in the Midwest here in Illinois. I've got a smaller house, about 1,100 square foot. It's got a addition on the front of the house that is about 12 foot by 10 foot, something like that, relatively small room. It's got a pretty good-sized window facing the road. It's on a foundation, but it's not attached to the garage. And it's not heated. I don't have a heating duct running out there. It's attached to the attic space, which is insulated. That room gets it gets cold in the winter and hot in the summer. And I wondered if I just ran a heating duct out there, if that would be enough, or should I put a vapor barrier down, or should I knock a hole in it to attach it to the basement, or, you know, get up under there and insulate and then run a heating duct or what? First of all, whenever you have a standalone space like that that's that's pushed off the rest of the house, you have more exterior surfaces, so you have more ways for the basically that building to chill. Adding insulation is always is always a no brainer. Adding insulation to the floor, adding the insulation to the attic, making it as insulated as possible is good. Now you ask can I add a heating duct to that? Maybe. Depends on a lot of things. Depends on the existing layout of your of your HVAC system and whether or not you can get a properly sized supply and return duct to that space. Uh, does this room get heat from the rest of the house, but just not enough heat? It, it doesn't get anything right now. It, it has just a door. It was doesn't it get anything. Okay. The bedroom at, at, in the summers, I guess. So what I would do is I would consult with your HVAC contractor to see how difficult it would be and whether or not uh, the pro thought you could get enough BTUs into that room to provide enough uh, heat, and I don't know if it includes air conditioning or not. If if not, the other thing to look at is what's called split ductless. Basically, you would install uh, what is essentially sort of a miniature heat pump uh, right outside the, the wall of that house, and you would hang on the wall um, a register that has the fan built into it, sort of a blower unit, and that can supply cold air in the summer, and that can supply warm, heated air uh, in the winter. And that would basically be a separate 
heating system for that room, a separate HVAC system for that room. Um, but uh, it's it's easier than trying to sort of extend sometimes the core system of the house. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sure does. All righty. Well, I will look into both those options. Well, hey, it might still be chilly out, but spring is ahead, and it's a time when we can look forward to warm weather, birds chirping, and the sounds and smells of loud gas-powered lawn equipment. (laughs) That's true. And that is why now is a good time to think about investing in a much better alternative, a battery-powered cordless lawnmower. There's a new one out now at Lowe's from Greenworks. Yeah, and it's called the Greenworks Pro 60-volt max brushless lithium-ion self-propelled 21-inch cordless electric lawnmower, and it's battery-powered, so no gas or oil to deal with. In fact, it's got a runtime of up to 60 minutes on a single battery charge. And it has dual battery ports with an automatic switchover. So when one battery is done, that mower is automatically going to switch over to the second battery. And it's the only mower in the industry that has the technology to do so. That is very cool. Also features smart cut technology. And this is neat because it automatically adjusts the performance when the mower detects changes in the terrain or the grass conditions, so you get more power when you're going uphill or you're cutting thicker grass. Plus, it also has a self-propelled drive system with rear-wheel drive and a variable speed control for maximum traction, maneuverability, and control. A lot of technology built into these products today that make them a lot easier to use. Yeah, and it's pretty much hassle-free. You know, instead of a pull cord, it's got a push-button start, no gas or maintenance to deal with, super quiet, zero emissions, and it has an easy fold handle on it so that you can store it vertically, which is going to take up about 70% less storage space. So what we're saying is basically there's really no reason to buy a gas mower anymore. I mean, with this technology, you can maintain your lawn with a lot less hassles The Greenworks Pro 60-volt max brushless lithium-ion self-propelled 21-inch cordless electric lawnmower is available at Lowe's and at Lowe's.com. Learn more at GreenworksTools.com. Greenworks, life gets easier. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Jane Ellen in Pennsylvania is looking at getting some new windows. How can we help you make that decision? Yes, well, we're looking at getting, um, replacing our single-pane windows. And our question is, do you think it would be more cost-effective to spend the extra money on triple-pane windows or would double-pane windows be okay? 
Uh, other than the windows, the house is fairly well insulated. It's not real drafty. Uh, we haven't priced our options yet, so we just we're looking for an opinion. I think that double pane windows will be fine. The thing is that when you shop for windows, you have all of these different features and benefits that you have to compare and contrast. And sometimes it gets very confusing when you do that. What I would look for is a window that's Energy Star rated and one that has double pane glass. As long as the glass is insulated and has like a low E coating so it reflects the heat back, that'll be fine. It's been my experience that unless you live in the most severe climates, triple pane glass doesn't really um, make up the additional cost in terms of return on investment. Wonderful. Thank you so much. What kind of windows do you have now? Are they very drafty? They're, well, they're single pane windows. They're, they're relatively decent windows for single pane, but they're, they're old. They're starting to, you can see the gas is starting to escape from them, and they are a little Drafty, we're, our house has a field behind it. Our backyard kind of opens up into a field. So there's a significant amount of wind that comes across the field and flows into the back of the house. And um, off the main back area, we have like a three seasons room, which helps to block some of the wind from the interior downstairs. But the upstairs bedrooms, you feel the wind a little bit more significantly. And we notice the single pane windows a little bit more there. It seems more drafty right there. Well, I think these windows are going to make a big difference for you. Now, if you need to save some money and maybe not doing them all at once, that's fine too. What I would do is the north and east sections of the house first, sides of the house first, and then the south and the west second, okay? Okay, sounds great. I know given the winter that we've all had in the northeast and pretty much all over the United States, you might think that a triple pane glass is going to do the trick, especially when we've had, what, like an average of five degrees time? Yeah. (laughs) I got to tell you, the days that we've had like 30 and 40 degree temperatures, like I've put on a light jacket. I've seen families out with no jackets. Like people are out of their minds when we get 40 degree days. I know. We're happy for it, right? It's like summer. (laughs) All right. Well, Jane Allen, I hope that helps you out. Thanks again for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Jim in Pennsylvania is on the line with a metal roofing question. How can we help you today? My question is metal roofs. What's the advantage of the metal over the shingle or vice versa, the cost? Um, I see a lot of my neighbors putting the metal on. So metal roofs are probably the most durable roof available today. And so the main advantage is durability. The other thing that you can get with a metal roof is today they're coated with low E coatings. So they can actually reflect the sun in the summer and lower your, your cooling costs as well. The downside of metal roofs is that they're very expensive. They're called investment grade roofs very frequently for a good reason because it's, it's the kind of roof you put on when you really want to invest in the house and it's, and it's the house that you're going to be in for the long haul. If it's a short term house for you, you know, I probably would not recommend a metal roof because I don't think you'll get the value out of it when you sell. Certainly you'll get some value out of it, but I don't think you'll get the cost of it. But if you're like, look, this is the house I'm going to be in for the next 20 or 30 years, uh, maybe longer, I want to really do something that's going to stand up with, with literally no maintenance, then maybe metal roof is for you. Aesthetically, they're beautiful. They come in all sorts of colors, all sorts of designs, and they can really make your house stand out. But um, they are costly. Probably, I would say, two to three times the cost of an asphalt shingle roof. But they'll last 30 years, you say, or more? They'll, they'll, last, they'll last 50 years. They'll last 75 years. They can last even longer than that. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for calling us at 
Money Pit. Well, a gorgeous banister and a dramatic newel post can add a stylish look to your stairs. But years of just use, and let me tell you, these staircases get used every day, especially if you've got a lot of kids up and down, running around, pulling on the banister, trying to fling themselves up the stairs faster. That all can lead to shaky stairs and loose railings. But, Tom, the fix for a lot of these problems is probably fairly easy, right? Yeah, and the stairs and rails really do take a lot of punishment. So loose posts are pretty much commonplace, especially if they were nailed in place instead of bolted or screwed to the floor or to the stair below. Yeah, and then the steps probably loosen just like a floorboard, and then yep. they can creak and make a racket, too. Now, Tom, I know that one of your many jobs as a younger home improver was actually building stairs and railings. So what's the fix? That's right. That was one of the many jobs I had sort of growing up as a home improver. And uh, I got to tell you, the good news is that you can often make that repair for the loose post with just a single screw. It can strengthen the attachment of the post. The best thing to do, though, is to drill it all the way through the newel post and into the adjacent stair tread. So you can basically use the stair tread to secure those posts because where that post sort of connects to the tread, that's generally where it loosens up the most. You just want to remember that you need to countersink the fastener to kind of hide that head. You can use a, a wood plug. Um, or you can use a trim screw potentially as well, which will go in and then you could add some uh, putty and just kind of hide it right there. Now, if the post has completely come loose or if it's just easier to totally take it off, there's another kind of very handy way to reattach it, especially if the steps are carpeted because you can pick up something called a post plate. Now, that's like a steel plate, Leslie, that's about a half inch wider on all four sides than the post itself. It's got four holes underneath the drive-up screws up into the post and then four through that sort of overhang. So basically you attach the post to the plate and then the plate to the stair. I've used these a lot. And as long as when you attach that plate to the floor, you get some meat, you know, you get a joist or even some hardwood, but not just the subfloor. It can actually be really, really secure and does a good job. And it's a lot easier to install than a lot of the methods. I mean, that's really smart. But what about the steps that are just, you know, loose, shaky, maybe they're squeaking, and that's the actual part that you step on? How do you fix that? Yeah, you can do the same thing with screws. I would use trim screws for those because they're really small, like almost like a finish nail. And what you want to do is screw the treads to the risers. And if you can get behind the stair, sometimes depending on how your house is configured, then you can also attach the riser to the tread. Anything that you can do to secure those loose treads down because they just weaken. They pop up just from people going up and down. They flex and they loosen and the fasteners come loose. So basically you have to replace those fasteners or or add to them. And that's why I say like inside of, you know, literally a half hour, if you've got the right tools and the right hardware, you could definitely secure everything that's loose and make the stair quieter and safer in the process. All right. Good tips. Now we've got Joyce in Alabama on the line who's got a question about a sink odor. What's going on? Well, this is in a bathroom sink. It's about uh, 25 years old. It's a type that has three air vent holes in it or overflow holes in it. And the odor seems to be emanating primarily from there. It's a very musty odor. And I came down to that conclusion because I finally took some paper and stuffed up those holes, and things smelled much better in the bathroom that way. Well, sometimes what happens is you'll get some uh, bacteria that will grow in that overflow trap. So what I would suggest you do is this. That is to fill the sink up with hot water and add some bleach to it. And let the bleach very slowly trickle over that overflow. And so it saturates it, and hopefully that will kill that 
mold or that bacteria. Now, the other thing that you can do is you can take the bathroom sink trap apart and clean it out with a bottle brush. Now, some of the traps today are just plastic. They're easy to unscrew and put back together under the sink. Sometimes you can clean that. And again, you get that that biogas that forms in there. If you clean it with a bleach solution, that usually makes things smell a lot better in the bathroom. Okay, Joyce? All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, with winter eventually coming to a close, you're probably starting to fantasize about what your backyard oasis is going to look like this warm weather season. Well, have we got a great giveaway for you this hour. We've got up for grabs the very handy heavy-duty metal hose reel cart from Centurion Brands. Now, it can hold a hose of up to 300 feet, which means basically you park that in one spot or take it around with you, and you can go to every corner of your yard and water everything thoroughly and fully and have beautiful plants and foliage for the spring and summer seasons. It's built out of 14 gauge steel construction, so it's super sturdy. And the finish is a very strong polystyrene powder coating that's going to last and last. It's worth $120. So make sure you check it out at centurionbrands.com. But it could be yours if you give us a call this hour. That number is 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. Stuart's on the line with an insulation question. How can we help you today? I'm wondering at what point in a house life should you look at uh, the insulation in your attic and re-insulating? Well, if you have insulation that's old and you notice that it's sort of sagging and compressed and no longer fluffy, at that point I would remove the insulation and replace it. If you've got insulation that's still pretty fluffy and it holds a lot of air, but you just don't have enough of it, then you can add additional layers on top of that. You do that with unfaced fiberglass baths. You lay them in perpendicular to the existing insulation to try to get up to that, say, 15 to 20-inch level of insulation. Because at that level, you're going to be super insulated, and it's really going to make a big savings in your heating costs. Okay, but if it's flat, it needs removed before you put further insulation on top of it. It needs to have a little bounce to it, I guess. If it's old and it's flat and it's compressed and it's sagging, then I would take it out and start from scratch. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Well, storing your car in a garage can help keep it frost-free, but the same can't be said for garage doors that often become stuck in very cold weather, and it can trap you and your car inside. Now, if you find yourself frozen in, first try disconnecting the automatic garage opener and then try to open that door manually. Yeah, and if you're wondering how to do that, just look. There's going to be a cord on the garage door track, and if you pull it down, it will it will basically disengage from the lifting mechanism, and that will free up the door to open. Now, if it doesn't work, don't force it or you could damage the door. What you want to do next is to spray a lock de-icer along the bottom of the door. And if you don't happen to have one, this is one of the many uses for WD-40. It actually works pretty well as a de-icing agent. You could also pour lukewarm water along that base, too, because there's a rubber gasket there, and those rubber gaskets will tend to sort of stick to the driveway or the concrete slab, you know, like glue. And you basically need to break that clean to be able to make that door work once again. Lauren, South Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? We have a deck on the back of our house that we, about two years ago, put a product on it that makes it like an anti-slip texture. And the coating is starting to chip off in big chunks. So we were thinking about using that deck over or over deck, I think it's called. And when we were at Home Depot, we noticed that they have 
something else that was an option. They're actually foot-squared tiles. They're like a thick rubber that you actually use glue to adhere onto the deck, and then you cover your deck that way. My concern is if you apply that onto the deck, will that rot the wood? Well, Laura, I'm not familiar with rubber tiles, but there are polypropylene tiles or plastic tiles or composite tiles that are on the market that are designed to cover old decks. And the way these work is they sit on top of the deck boards and they usually lock together. And some of them are quite attractive. There's a product called Cover Deck that comes in dozens of different uh, colors and shapes and designs that could look really neat. And it's not going to be slippery and it's going to look great. I am concerned if you're gluing something down to the wood deck, I agree that something like rubber glued to wood is bound to let some water underneath and it's certainly not going to evaporate. These composite tiles or the plastic tiles usually have a bit of space under them, which allows the wood to breathe and dry out. And really that's the issue. If you hold water against it, you will get decay. So I would take a look at some of the tile products that allow you to cover these decks and probably avoid anything that's that's rubbery that you're going to glue down. Okay, so the glue is okay as long as there's a gap or some sort of gap between the wood. It's okay to cover it as long as there's airspace so it dries out. Okay, perfect. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Call us right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT, or you can send us a question via moneypit.com, and that's what Kay did who's looking into buying a home in a neighborhood that has a lot of prefab houses. That's right. Now, Kay writes, I'm considering buying a home in a neighborhood that seems to be mainly prefab housing. Are there any drawbacks to owning modular? You know, when I first got into home inspection, I would occasionally run into a prefab house. I had some of the same concerns, but the more I looked into them and the more I've watched that industry uh, as time has gone on, I, I really think that they're actually built better than stick-built homes. And here's why. Because they're factory built, there's better control over the materials and the accuracy and the fastening points that really are making all the difference when you're putting a house together. So I think that prefabricated homes where they are mostly built in a factory and then assembled on site by usually a builder that has experience with them. It's not the kind of thing that a built like a one-off builder does. It's usually somebody that specializes in prefabricated homes. They come out on a truck, and it's the most amazing thing, isn't it, Leslie, when you see them lift big wall sections or... I mean, or, it's massive sections. Yeah, right, or complete roof sections uh, into a house and put it together, you know, one sort of chunk at a time. Yeah, but you're so right. I mean, everything is built in a temperature and climate-controlled environment, so you don't have to worry about things getting slowed down because of bad weather or materials being soaked. It's just so much smarter to do so. Yeah, I agree. Now, like those stick-built homes, when you see the outside all being put together, you think, ah, I must be moving in next week. Well, not so fast. It does take you know, a little more time to get all the internal stuff done. So they may go together a little faster, but I don't necessarily think that would be the only reason to use a prefab home. I think you use it because you can control the quality and there's a lot of design flexibility too. It's not like they're cookie cutter houses where you only have a, you know, small number of choices. You pretty much have all the flexibility you need because once that home is is designed, then, you know, the engineers and the computer programs go to work and basically spit out everything that has to be cut and assembled and gets out there to your site in a pretty short uh, period of time. But after it goes together, you still got plumbing, wiring, 
you know, lighting and so on, painting, all that stuff is still done very much manually. Although I will say that some of the, sometimes the pre-wiring and the pre-plumbing can be done. It really depends on what options are available from the builder. But bottom line is, Kay, I think they're great houses, and I don't think you should have any concerns about purchasing a prefab home. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, next up, we've got a post here from Laura. Now, Laura writes, I can get hot water out of my bathtub faucet if I take a bath, but I have no hot water out of the shower head. I've got water pressure, just water that's not hot. Any ideas about the problem? Well, the only way that can be happening is if the diverter valve has failed, and that's that mixing valve that mixes hot and cold and sends it up the shower pipe, basically, and out the shower head. The fact that you're getting water out of that shower head means it's not clogged, and the fact that you're getting hot water out of the tub spout means the water's getting that far. It's just not getting up out of the shower. So I think you got a bad diverter valve. You're going to need to get a plumber in there to fix that, Laura. You know, it shouldn't be a difficult project. shouldn't be an expensive project. I would go to homeadvisor.com and uh, find a contractor that's got some nice reviews and works in your area and start right there. All right. I hope that helps, Laura. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Hey, thank you for spending part of your day with us. Remember, whenever you hear the show, wherever you are, whatever time of the day it is, you can call us at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Our team is always standing by and ready to take your calls and questions about your home. And if we are not in the studio when that happens, we will always call you back the next time we are. But for now, the show continues online. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 